You're listening to the One Two Three Show with me, Noreen Mir, this Wednesday afternoon. Let's turn to our first topic and our first guests of today. In the next twenty minutes or so, we're looking ahead at International Day of Charity, which is this Saturday on the fifth of September. And this afternoon, we're talking about the role of charities and also the challenges they've been facing, especially now during the pandemic, and what are some of the longer-term solutions of philanthropy. To talk about this topic, we're joined by a couple of heavyweights this afternoon who've been playing an extremely active. Role on this issue so much so that they have set up a task force to address some of the issues we mentioned. And without further ado, I'd like to welcome on the program Victoria Wisniewski Otero, the CEO of the Resolve Foundation, and also Joe Hayes, the CEO of the Habitat for Humanity Hong Kong. Welcome on the program, ladies. Thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having us. We are um, also streaming this interview uh, on the Facebook page as well. Uh, Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio 3 is the page to go to. I should also mention that um, I introduced you uh, with your official hats, but for the purpose of today's discussion, uh, you'll be representing the task force, uh, which you're both uh, a part of. Uh, so perhaps let, let's also look, at, uh, look ahead at uh, International uh, Day of Charity. What does this day actually mean and what does it signify? Uh, Joe? Um, yeah, so it's a really important day every year, um, but this year um, in particular. So it was, it was first started in 2012 by the UN, and the objective was to bring people together to help each other through volunteering or philanthropic uh, activities. Um, and in a nutshell, it's, it's an opportunity and a really uh, timely reminder that as individuals, we can each make a small contribution to uh, helping our community, but that together our small contributions can actually have a really big impact and, and transform lives. Um, but why is it really important this year and, and to celebrate this um, Saturday? Um, because after a year of socio-political uh, unrest and then compounded by COVID, um, charities in, in Hong Kong in particular are really seeing an unprecedented demand on their services. Um, and we took a temperature check. So you, you talked about the task force. So the, the task force took a temperature check uh, last week with 47 charities and 75% uh, of them uh, reported an increase in the, the demand on their services. But we're not just talking about delivering existing services. We're, we're also seeing um, a number of new needs um, emerging uh, because of COVID. Yeah. Well, let's uh, bring it back to Hong Kong then. What are some of the roles uh, of charities here, here in Hong Kong? Uh, I know a lot of times there's a lot of advocacy work that goes in. What, what other roles uh, do charities do here in Hong Kong? Well, Noreen, as you know, um, Hong Kong is a place where there's very little wiggle room for the working poor and, and marginalized. Um, there's a very small social safety net. Um, things like uh, minimum wage have only been introduced in the last decade. Uh, Hong Kong has one of the highest inequality rates in the developed world. Um, and so a lot of services are actually outsourced to charities. So charities actually play a very important role in making sure that people don't fall through the cracks. And um, just like around the world, uh, you know, COVID has affected every industry that you can think of, and that, that's true with us as well. Um, some of the issues that we've seen have been, in, and I speak sector-wide, not just my own NGO, but, you know, increasing jo uh, job insecurity and, and unemployment, food insecurity, 
people having barriers in access to education. I think that's been, you know, definitely seen in the last couple of months in particular uh, with uh, technology. Homelessness, these are some of the things that um, different charities in the task force have kind of reported to us. And um, a, an earlier survey that we did in February as the task force found that um, out of 100 uh, non-vented NGOs that were surveyed, uh, they together serve 1 million people here in Hong Kong. And that's just a fraction of the total amount of charities uh, in Hong Kong. So it's a, it, it, the, the sector plays a vital role in ensuring the well-being uh, of, of people. Um, so, so yes, this is the critical role even before COVID that we play, but certainly that role has only amplified with COVID. Yeah, well, it's very interesting you brought up the survey as well, Victoria. It's a really good survey. I'll post uh, this open letter onto the Facebook page as well so that our listeners and our audience can get a chance to. I was really surprised to find that over 60% of the charities have experienced a reduction of funding um, from from your survey. Tell us a little bit more about that. Isn't this sort of funding, aren't these fundings sort of stable? Um, I mean, how, how are these funding being given uh, to you? Are they given to you by big corporates or, you know, what are some of the methods of fundraising? Why such a significant uh, drop in funding? Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Victoria pick up on that one, but I just wanted to to sort of pick up on something that Victoria said to segue in. Um, with when we surveyed, we're talking about uh, non-subvented uh, NGOs and Section 88, and what that actually means for those who are kind of less familiar. This is our this is our yeah. You know, day to day, but for those who, who don't know, these are these are charities who don't get um, ongoing uh, funding from the government. Um, so our funding uh, predominantly comes from the public sector or foundations or um, or corporates. Um, um, and so there isn't necessarily that that's stability, especially with an economic downturn where you know businesses um, and individuals are, are also um, impacted. That's a really um, good I'll, point, yeah, I'll Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say that's a really good point. Maybe I went ahead in full steam. Maybe you can also tell us a little bit about the formation of charities here in Hong Kong. You have to register uh, for uh, Section 88 before you can fully become a charity. And before all of that, you are really a, a company sort of uh, in limbo. T tell us a little bit more about the formation of a charity in order for it to be registered here in Hong Kong. I'll, t I'll be uh, brief about it, but yes, uh, we're, we're using some terminology that is important for your readers to understand. So when we say Section 88, that means that they're recognized by Inland Revenue Department, and therefore anyone who makes a donation can get a tax exemption. And in our task force, uh, you know, the, the people who were signatories to the letters, they're all Section 88 charities, and they're all uh, non-subvented. And what kind of brings us together in common is that not only have we been seeing, seeing this unprecedented demand, all of us have had to pivot our services. It's been amazing to see how the frontline essential workers and the NGOs have been able to adapt, but you know, it's, it's also been extremely challenging. And so that seems, uh, the, the same organ, you know, we did this survey where we found that um, people have actually had an increase in demand for their services, but in that same survey, they said that actually the funding has not been catching up. 
So we've been quite overstretched. And it's a kind of a double, uh, it's a compounded effect because on one hand, our services are more essential than ever, but on the other, the funding has gone down. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that a lot of the NGOs have not been able to do their normal fundraising activities as they planned. So if an NGO relies on uh, annual gala to, to bring in uh, income, they, they've had to postpone that completely. Also, um, obviously many uh, industries are, are suffering and so CSR you know, it's it's also there's a lot of unknowns about how how much funding will be available from the corporate sector, and certainly even at individual donor level, uh, people tend to be cautious in times of uh, crisis. Um, and so, you know, the individual giving has really gone down. Um, that being said, um, we, what we what we hope the we can kind of galvanize together, and there have been some hopeful initiatives that we'll be talking about later. But I think what keeps us up at night is if we disappear, what will happen to those beneficiaries that we serve? Um, how how will they be protected in society? And this is why our, you know, even though we felt a lot of similar impacts to other sectors, the NGO sector all people to survive. Role uh, during this time in, in COVID. Um, I was going to say, talk about the the impacts of the, the the pandemic. I mean, you mentioned a really good point just now. A lot of these fundraising events that would normally happen have had to be cancelled or postponed to a later date. What what other impacts have you been seeing? I'll let Joe uh, add on that. But when I when I talk about the fundraising events, for example, I think it's important to realize the repercussions because actually a lot of the uh, NGOs that we spoke to, the only way to get flexible forms of funding is through these fundraising events. And it's only through flexible forms of funding that they can have their core mission support covered and that they can actually have ability to adapt and pivot their programs with, with you know. Uh, so having that unrestricted flexible funding source go down has really presented some challenges in being able to be responsive. Yeah, Joe, perhaps you can enlighten us a little bit more about you know the importance of having non-restricted funding. Yeah, and it's um, it it has been phenomenal to to witness and hear about some of the stories of of how um, charities in Hong Kong have been pivoting and how they've been. Uh, creating and innovating in a time where you know we're experiencing so many different challenges um, coming all at once and one after the other. Um, you know, Victoria's touched on a couple of, of, of main ways that we we try to fundraise, um, and so obviously with as with other industries, we try to take fundraising online, um, crowdfund. Um, start social enterprise arms um, and also looking at the funding we're also looking at the ways that we can save costs and um, you know moving offices moving into co-working spaces to, to you know so we're really responsible um, but we also need to raise awareness of the the critical need for what we call another you know NGO term um, unrestricted funding um, and to kind of make it easier to for for to understand what we mean when we talk about unrestricted. Um, it's quite handy to think about it in terms of baking a cake, 
if you if you go out and um, um, you can have sugar and you can have flour and you can have eggs and they can sit on your counter in your kitchen but if you don't actually have an oven or a chef to bake that cake you're going to sugar and eggs and we try to sort of apply that thinking to um, and to raise awareness of, of why it's so important that you know we do have funding that can also help us to to buy the ovens and um, and to uh, to bring in the chefs Terrific to, to analogy. bake the cake. It, it works it really works more, more about baking a cake and how others can get involved later on but um but yeah it's um it, it, there are challenges. There are serious challenges, and we. And I, I do want to make sure that we, you know, we we manage to to highlight some of the positive conversations that we've been having. Um, and and really, what as as the task force, what we, you know, who we are, and, and and what we've been trying to to achieve to to bring not just the NGO sector together, but also bring. Uh, cross-sector conversations to the forefront. Absolutely. And, and that's a terrific analogy because these, you know, these charities and NGO provide such essential services that a lot of the times uh, corporate donors will be attracted to, to, to give a lump sum, but that lump sum may be on a project base. So they're supporting those initiatives, but at the same time, that money then cannot be used for rent, for other overheads, uh, to, to pay for, for staff. Um, so it's actually quite restrictive in, in that sense as well. So I'm sure our listeners yeah. will be quite keen to, to learn more about that. Let's uh, talk a little bit about the task force uh, that you have formed. I'm really excited. So who are you exactly and, and what are you going to do? I love, I love, I love talking about the task force. Um, we are, you know, internally we name ourselves Women Who Get Stuff Done. Um, but it, it came about as an informal group of uh, women NGO leaders um, a few years ago, about three years ago. Um, and it was a, it was a way of um, sharing experience and challenges and supporting each other um, as we were running our respective uh, charities. But back in February, we, we started to have some conversations about the challenges that we're all facing, um, compounded by COVID, but you know, through months of not being able to deliver programs or, or run fundraising events. And we were really, really concerned about the impact and the long-term impact on our operations. Um, and, and our first thought was, we can't be alone in having these challenges and these conversations. Um, and we were particularly worried about the impact on the, on the entire nonprofit sector. So we decided to immediately do something about it. And the initial uh, task force of six women was formed at that point uh, back in February. We sent out a survey because um, we wanted to gather some data um, to, to really understand the scale of the issues. Um, and indeed, our assumptions were confirmed and the sector uh, was suffering, uh, which, as, as Victoria was saying earlier, you know, importantly, if the sector is suffering, then, then, in, then the beneficiaries that we serve are, are also going to, to deeply suffer as a result. So um, our initial goal was actually to, to try and secure emergency funding for the sector. Um, using the data collated in the survey, we, we spoke to the government um, and we asked for the sector to be included in any future uh, bailout uh, funding. Um, and we really were focusing and highlighting the need for us to be able to keep our staff. Uh, we wanted this um, 
this conversation to be had at, at, at the level of, of government and, and we were extremely pleased that when the um, emergency subsidy scheme uh, was launched that um, that it focused on, on salaries and that we were included, that the sector was included. Um, but then we we published the open letter that you, you referred to earlier, um, and we, um, so not just the task force of women leaders, but 176 um, non-profit leaders uh, signed the letter, and we've had an overwhelmingly positive response to this letter uh, with some concrete outcomes, um, and in particular, some collaborative funding initiatives from foundation. Um, I'm sure Victoria to talk a bit more about uh, Bridge the Gap, um, but that's just one example of, of how uh, funders have really stepped up um, to work uh, collaboratively, both with uh, charities, but also um, across the different foundations. Yeah. Um, and we've since grown to um, 12 um, NGO women leaders um, on the task force. Um, but as you, you know, when you opened the show, you said, you know, we're not here with our institutional um, pat on. Um, it, it really is um, from a, a personal desire to, to support the nonprofit sector. We want it to survive, uh, we want it to thrive, and uh, we want it to be more sustainable. Um, so yeah, this is something that we do on top of our on top of our day job. Victoria. Yeah, um, to add what Joe said, I think the, you know, obviously one of some of the positive outcomes of the open letter to funders has been that we've actually seen some very innovative and um, cooled efforts by funders through the Bridge the Gap Hong Kong initiative, which is basically providing match funding. So NGOs, they can raise funds through a, a crowdfunding appeal, particularly because so many people in Hong Kong have gotten the 10,000 Hong Kong dollar uh, handout and not everyone needs it in the same way. So why not donate it to charities? So this um, matches those funds. Um, but then also, um, you know, some foundations have come up with very uh, different kinds of um, funding programs that do focus more on the core mission support costs that we've been addressing, the rent, the staff, the people, the infrastructure. Um, but then I think one of the real benefits from it has been that we've actually been able to prompt some dialogues. So uh, we've had dialogues with foundations, um, we've had dialogues with corporates, and we've had dialogues with other NGOs. And for me, that's really inspiring because in the short run, we all want to, all of us cross-sector wise, we wanna make sure that the most vulnerable in Hong Kong don't fall through the cracks of the system. But long-term, we believe that you know, every crisis has some opportunity and some reflection. And we think that this can be a positive step in the direction of maybe shifting how philanthropy and the NGO sector is run so it can be more resilient and more collaborative. Yeah, we, we talked a little bit uh, about sort of how COVID has affected your work. I wanted to talk a little bit more about the challenges sort of faced by charities that perhaps some of us don't even know about. The everyday sort of the nitty gritty that you have to problem solve on a daily basis. Um, can you share it with our, our listeners? Well, I mean, there's obviously um, the, the, the everything that a lot of the frontline workers are facing and having to deal with uh, a huge increase in the number of services, having to see how they can adapt, you know, if they ran a childcare center, how can, or, or providing, a tu you know, tutoring, how can they do that online if they're working with people who 
who are from low income background and don't necessarily have access to technology. So it's it's like what Joe mentioned, it's not just um, providing more services, but doing the services in a roundabout or kind of creative way where you don't have much wiggle room to just wait, you need to keep those services running. Um, but I think something, another challenge we often face are some certain myths maybe about the NGO sector. And so maybe we can tell you a couple of them. So I think the first is that um, sometimes people think that, you know, charity is about volunteering and um, that it doesn't actually require staff. Um, and actually, you know, you it's a profession and, and we are a major employer here in Hong Kong. You know, we not only do we serve families and, and the vulnerable communities, but also uh, we employ people, you know, we, we employ people and want people to have, keep their jobs. But um, a lot of times you do require specialized uh, expertise. You know, you have to be a social worker to work with children, for example, or um, to do the accounting so that we can be financially transparent to our stakeholders. We we need people with with financial skills. So I think that that's one of the biggest um, maybe misconceptions is that actually this is a sector that is professional. We want young people to be enthusiastic and stay in the nonprofit sector and see a career ladder in the nonprofit sector. Um, and that will benefit everyone in society. And um, I think Joe can maybe talk about some other this or another myth. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to add on, um, when I first joined the nonprofit sector in Hong Kong, the first question, um, I was so excited to share about, about my new role, and the first question that I would get was, is that, is that a full-time job? Um, and it's just you know, from a, the basic of, yes, we need staff to run our organizations. Um, that for me was such a, an eye opener. And, and uh, yeah, it just builds on what, what you were saying, Victoria. That charity is about volunteering, but actually, you know, you've got, you've got the bakers that need to run the yeah. shop, yeah. essentially. I, I guess that that concept is always, you know, charity is about giving, um, and, and that's from a perspective of people sort of giving their time or money, but you still require the staff who actually have the set of the charity so that people can 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 give. Um, I want to turn um, our attention a little bit uh, about uh, philanthropy and sort of what are the longer-term solutions of philanthropy, because I suppose when we talk about charity, those two terms are often used interchangeably, but they're two very different concepts that perhaps we can uh, uh, shine our uh, highlight uh, for International uh, Day of Charity. So um, who'd like to take th this question? Victoria, would you like to bring that one up? Sure. Um, okay. So we have the nonprofit sector um, and w w the, the philanthropy sector are, are the um, groups and foundations that provide the funding to enable our work to happen. Um, and uh, you had, you know, Noreen, you had asked, I think me, um, you know, is there best practice for charities in Hong Kong, for example? And actually, um, certainly there's always more best practice that we could do and, and, and um, things that we could do better as a sector. Uh, but I do think that there's great initiatives through, for example, the Hong Kong Council on Social Services offers lots of guides, Asian charity services, those trainings, where we felt maybe there's not enough best practice or not enough conversations is not so much within the NGO sector, but actually between the philanthropy sector and the NGO sector. 
having those spaces for dialogue and mutual understanding and seeing how we can do things more effectively. You know, it requires both parties to be coming to the table together and un understanding the other side. Um, so I think um, going forward, you know, one of the things that the task force, even though we are an informal group, we do this on our weekends and on top of our very busy day jobs. Um, but we are keen to see if we can develop some best practice guide on that relationship, not so much just, you know, the NGO sector in isolation or philanthropy sector in isolation, but how they actually work together so that we can best serve our community. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so at the moment, are there any best practice guides at the moment? So if you were new in the charity sphere, where would you go to for this guide? Or you, do you have to rely on sort of other charities to, to give you a helping hand as to what to do? Well, um, in terms of that kind of collaboration across philanthropy and NGOs, COVID has prompted some very interesting global conversations. And, you know, in other countries, there have been consortiums and councils of foundations that have come out with statements or some working principles and how they'll be adapting their philanthropy in light of COVID and their relationships. And um, we actually made reference to those explicitly in our open letter to funders um, because we thought, hey, this is a really rich conversation. Um, how can we bring that here to Hong Kong and how can we localize it so it's you know, relevant to Hong Kong as well? Uh, so there have been, it's, it's a very interesting time for philanthropy actually, because there's a lot of conversations, not just about how to address COVID, but what philanthropy might look like in the post-COVID future. Yeah. Um, what about you, Joe? Um, there are there are some great resources out there. Um, if we're talking about you know how can um, if you're new to the NGO sector and um, there's Asian charity services which provide they provide some fantastic uh, workshops and uh, resources for nonprofits and um, and the Hong Kong Council of Social Services um, do as well. Um, but we are really excited about, you know, in terms of next steps um, and, and being able to produce some sort of cross-sector collaboration. It's not just uh, philanthropy um, and NGOs, but it's also about you as individuals and, and what the public can do as well uh, to, to support the non-profit sector. We have a few ideas uh, that we can share um, to help people. I was going to say that might have to be a topic for another day. We're out of time today, but we'll return to this very great conversation.